30, it's time for Grey Matters. This is uh, India Lucia doing Raga and Olay. Before that, we had Ashwan Batish doing Raga Rock. Philip Glass gave us a piece out of his Satagara opera. Uh, Ravi Shankar and Alec Ak- Akbar Khan gave us Sat- Sitaram Sarad Raga Shri backwards. And then uh, Ravi Shankar and Yehida Meduin gave us something with violin and sitar. And then we had Ravi Shankar and Abra Akbar Khan forwards. Uh, right after this is over, we'll have Free Speech Radio News. Well, not Free Speech Radio News. No, we'll have Great Matters right after this is over. Listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And I guess we'll start out with some positive news. Um, I think the fact that this Mars lander seems to have successfully landed in the crater is a reminder for all Americans that this is the greatest country. We have the greatest technology. There's many, many things to be grateful for. And while it's quite clear that Gabby Douglas is maybe the greatest gymnast that ever lived, uh, I guess we can throw in Nadia Comaneci as a, <laughs> for argument's sake, Michael Phelps is the greatest swimmer that ever lived, and Usain Bolt is the fastest human that's ever existed. Uh, Dude can fly. Except, of course, when Nixon was trying to dunk B.B. Rebozo in the pool. Oh, look out there, B.B., I'm coming to get you. That little bugger could scamper. He's a slippery little rascal. Uh, I think that it's a very impressive uh, f- thing that's that's happened with this uh, this uh, rover landing on Mars. And uh, 
I think we should look forward to uh, some of the spectacular pictures. I understand black and white pictures are already starting to come in. I guess they'll have color pictures soon enough. Well, I've often criticized the space program for uh, their various debacles, but uh, in the spirit of Carl Sagan, who always defended uh, the exploratory aspects of uh, space research, uh, I think this is an appropriate way uh, to invest $2.5 billion. Yeah. Uh, it's This is going to be uh, creating a lot of productive and useful information. I'm not so sure about manned missions to Mars, whether or not that's sound uh, or even attainable, uh, given the current situation. But uh, with increasing evidence showing that we must respond more quickly to our own planet's uh, climactic issues, uh, climatic issues, uh, studying uh, the history of a now barren planet like Mars uh, could yield hugely significant uh, details and information. Well, and, and what's fascinating about it is, is it applies to the lack of debate regarding the whole entire issue of science in this particular campaign as it applies to uh, issues uh, in, involving education in the campaign, uh, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, um, job creation, technology, innovation, and that sort of thing. It once again reminds us, you know, the impressive aspect of a craft coming into a, uh, a planet um, millions of miles from Earth. I mean, I think it takes even the images to get seven minutes to get back from this planet to have a, a parachute and a crane get this thing landed uh, successfully. It's a major accomplishment. It is a uh, major organization accomplishment. Organization and skill, and uh, it's, it's fairly efficiently done. And I think that the uh, shuttle was uh, uh, pretty much a waste of money uh, over the that long run. That became more of a publicity yeah. sort of a program. That became almost propaganda. But yeah. I think that these uh, innovative explorations of Mars, because this rover is rather large, and it apparently has a, uh, I'm not completely up on, uh, fully briefed on this, but I remember hearing that it's got a uh, a nuclear, quote, backpack that should keep this thing in uh, functional um, for almost 10 years. And the size of this thing, this thing is apparently kind of like a little bulldozer. And I don't know if, uh, what was his name, Marvin? Marvin the Martian? That's right. I don't know if he's monitoring the movements of this little devil, but he's probably very angry. <coughs> so yeah, the the parachute, the crane, the whole the, the whole process of this uh, success because it was a success, and uh, how much of a success we don't yet know, but it's there. It's on the planet. It's sending back images. There's apparently some dust on the lens. I was even listening to BBC last night, BBC Radio, when I heard about the seven minutes of, of you know, uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the delay in the signal transmission. The whole thing right. and the, the whole issue of the, you did know, did it, everything did it? Yeah. successfully uh, uh, basically disengage and engage, etc. So this is an impressive uh, thing, and I think that all Americans should be grateful for the fact that we do spend some very small amount of money on this sort of uh, research. This is what's known as hard R&D, and this, this is what this is. And this, you know, if, if it proves that there was flowing water, as scientists believe, on Mars uh, several billion years ago, 
This could have very relevant issues, both at a theological level here on Earth, but it is a scientific uh, issue regarding possibly the fact that uh, Earth was uh, exceedingly hot at one point and Mars was maybe more inhabitable. And of course, $2.5 billion is uh, lots and lots of money, but uh, relative to what's been accomplished here and the promise of the potential yield in information and uh, hard data, uh, what do you get for $2.5 billion of spending in Afghanistan? Duh. Not much. That's right. And what do you get, for instance, if you give uh, $360 billion of tax cuts uh, to wealthy people, as Mitt Romney wants to do? That gives you a, an idea of the size. How many, uh, how many of these uh, suckers could we land on Mars with that kind of money? That's right. <laughs> We'd cre- create all kinds of jobs uh, with multiple projects, <laughs> landing rovers and earthlings even. Um, so Planet it's interesting Newt. that just this past week, the uh, economists at the Tax Policy Center critiqued Romney's uh, tax proposals, though they noted that... Uh, they're pressing the campaign, the Romney campaign, for more details, but they point out that uh, basically this tax uh, plan will cut taxes for wealthy people, and the lower 95% of us are going to have to pay more in uh, taxes to make up the difference because the spending cuts have not been detailed. It's always important to remember that in the federal budget, as we've learned over the past couple of weeks while Congress continues not to do its job uh, it's on vacation now it's on recess but who would know <laughs> they don't seem to accomplish much when they're in session uh they didn't pass any uh of the i don't know if this bills. is the the least accomplished congress ever but it's certainly the least accomplished in a long very long yeah time. so we'll give them a brain damage they continue not to do their job they continue to uh and, and it's remarkable you know you get the uh, recess occurring and then you already have uh uh, people like Lindsey Graham and Kelly Ayotte and uh, uh, John McCain out there complaining about the defense budget cuts. Well, they agreed to this sequestration plan, this automatic, uh, these automatic cuts that are going to go into place. Uh, it's, it's remarkable stuff. And, of course, you know, we had another jobs report, 163,000 new jobs. Interesting that uh, 172,000 of those were private sector jobs so government once again cut jobs state and local government Mitt Romney seems to keep missing the facts on this this is the 29th straight month of increased private sector employment Uh, the sector that's cutting jobs is the government so it just escapes me and 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 furthermore Barack Obama agreed to extend the Bush tax cuts so we're operating under the Bush fiscal policy of tax cuts. Uh, this, of course, is why there are large deficits. And um, Even though our taxes are relatively lower uh, here in the middle class than they are uh, in most parts of the world. And if you look at the, you know, the detailed data from uh, the weekend's Wall Street Journal showing the sectors of the economy that are doing well and not, for the most part, it looks pretty good. There's been some downward movement at... Uh, in construction that's connected to the how at over at flat employment or downward uh, that's connected to the uh, the banking uh, housing crisis from uh, several years back retail jobs are in a holding pattern occasionally you'll see a month or two where they decline 
Some of that's connected to the Internet, I hasten to add, and many of those uh, sales are not taxed for reasons that remain unexplained. And uh, it shows that government jobs have consistently been cut uh, for over a year. Uh, there's only... It's, it's just remarkable um, that Mitt Romney would continue arguing this economic agenda that he's, that he's uh, trying to sell to the American people because it seems to be bereft of facts. Or maybe that the Republican uh, Congress, uh, thinking that Romney might win, plans to just simply put off any attempt at compromise whatsoever. Yeah. And just sort of play it that way. Devil may care. Kick the can down the road. Right, again. And then wait for the election results that I'm sure will be mixed. Um, it's interesting, in the same edition, on the weekend, uh, the Wall Street Journal basically p publishes a Saturday-Sunday edition called the August 4th, 5th edition. But in that same edition, they have uh, a breakdown of all the close states, 12 of them, and Obama's got pretty much a lead in every single one of them except North Carolina. Now, many of them are st statistically insignificant. They're small leads, but uh, Obama does have a lead everywhere, and even in the one state he's this is the Wall Street Journal poll, by the way. Even in the one state that he's trailing, uh, North Carolina, the lead that Romney has is less than a 1%. So Romney's going to have to win this with uh, the debates. I doubt that his VP candidate, uh, unless it's Rafalka. Well, let's think about the... <laughs> you know, unicorn names are... Right. <laughs> Power oh. prancing to the podium now. Oh, a horse, uh, a dancing horse. <laughs> that would be a What's great... What's that, Mr. Ed? That'd be a great team. Mitt Romney and Rafalka running for president. Uh, I think Rafalka could probably run Congress better than John Boehner. Uh, there's very little doubt about that. Stomp once for yes, twice for no. But I've always wanted to see a unicorn ride a horse. <laughs> this may be your lucky year. Maybe my lucky year. Well, let's let's think about. The, Is Mitt Romney a unicorn? The the timing of of how you know between now and November, uh, how this is all going to sort of fall into place. Uh, the conventions are coming up in what a couple of weeks. Yeah, the Republicans is is eminent. Yeah, so uh, probably right after the Olympics, we're going to get into that, and of course they have to have a vice presidential uh, candidate named by then, unless they plan to sort of pluck one out of the thin air as last minute as possible, which I doubt. Uh, and then there's the debates, and before you know it, uh, we're practically in the Christmas spending season. But uh, finally, after all the hot air, chin music, extravagant uh, quantities of cash bags being dropped into. Uh, public relations and marketing firms, uh, accounting uh, tills, uh, we're finally in the home stretch here. Finally. And, and so what does Mitt have left, and how gaff-free can he be? You know, well, yeah. We know the answer to the last one. Well, he seems to commit a gaff when he talks about as frequently as uh, Usain Bolt can, can run the 100-meter 100, 100 yeah. dash. About uh, 9.6 9 seconds, right? <laughs> there seems to be another one. Boop. But, uh, well, so it's uh, he's not going to watch Rafalka apparently dance. It's coming up. Right. <laughs> but look for Rafalka to be the darkest of dark horses. <laughs> I think, by the way, on the VP thing that Romney will go uh, uh, relatively um, conservative. 
Uh, he's got to pick someone from the south. Doesn't he doesn't. He, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to create yeah. uh, a bunch of. Uh, Issues at the last second that have already complicated. It's going to be a Tea Party pleaser, pe- or or a pleaser. solid conservative. I think Portman is is the leading Rob Portman, senator from Ohio, leading candidate. But I, I would say dark horses include. Uh, I would put in Brownback for uh, the governor of Kansas because he was in the Senate. He's run for president before. That's very important. There aren't any skeletons in his closet. Um, there may be a few Bibles. Because um, he's very, very conservative, and uh, he got no traction in the 2008 uh, uh, nominating process. Uh, kind of a dull, steady kind of guy, but uh, boy, he can put you to sleep. Makes Mitt Romney look exciting. <laughs> yeah, that could be part of the strategy, although uh, only Barbara Bachman can save us from our true enemy, the Muslim Brotherhood. She and Dave Emery are going <laughs> to... Right. But... Uh, up on that one. Huckabee, I think, is another uh, remote possibility, uh, but... I keep hearing Condoleezza Rice's name thrown out there, and I isn't that remarkable? Myst- mystifying to me. Yeah, I mean, she's a non-starter for the base of the Republican Party um, because of her position on abortion. And let's face it, she's the she's worst con- national she- security advisor in American history. Yeah. Now she did a little bit better as Secretary of State because let's face it, that's a lot of uh, kissing ass and drinking tea, and. Well, showing diplomacy, that, which yeah. she's probably pretty good at. She's probably poised. She's, she's you know, well, she's, she's been prof- in business, so it's she's all a about professional, nice. and all, all yeah. that. And so she she did perform that job uh, uh, far better than she did as a national security advisor. But her record in that position was a catastrophe, uh, not only for George Bush. Uh, in many ways, because much of the world, if you for, look at the uh, repercussions yeah. of their failure to. Uh, Follow through on the predictions, right? And her 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 own perception of her job, I think, was one of the most mystifying uh, aspects of the first term of George Bush's presidency. Because when you see her uh, wearing a uh, military garb, sitting on the uh, on the on the deck when Bush pulled off the mm. mission accomplished incident, right? She's got her arms folded with a kind of confident, happy look on her face. This is on May first, two thousand and three. Uh, the uh, disasters that were upcoming in Iraq were, at that point, not evident, but uh, eminent. But happening. And I mean, predicted. they were happening. They were predicted. Yeah. And then Bush went on to uh, go from Top Gun goon to uh, Shane, bring him on. <laughs> come back, Shane. Shane. Smoke out of their hole. Shane, come back. So, yeah, I, I don't see Condoleezza Rice at all uh, in the picture. But who knows? So I think I think Romney will probably play this uh, fairly uh, steady Eddie, as they say. Well, steady Eddie Munster. But I'm sure they're um, analyzing the VP's tax returns a little more <laughs> scrupulously than uh, Mitt Romney's willing to uh, reveal of his own. Put out there with his own. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's uh, August 6th. And I found this to be somewhat remarkable, actually. But uh, former President Harry Truman's grandson uh, actually went to Hiroshima to attend the memorial service marking the 67th anniversary Mm -hmm. of the atomic bomb dropping in that city. Uh, Clifton Truman Daniel visited the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park on Saturday, laid a wreath for the 140,000 people killed by the August 6, 1945 bombing. Uh, Daniel is the first member of the Truman family to pay such a visit. Uh, 
Although, what can you say? How can you truly apologize for such a horrible thing? Uh, it was great, of course, that America helped defeat the evil of Nazism and the violence and ruthlessness of Japanese imperialism. But the uh, atomic uh, weapons sort of left a, a stain of uh, mass murderous guilt on the shiny gloss of what could have been uh, a defining moment for America as a nation. And, of course, a lot of the evidence uh, has since shown that there was really no need militarily to drop these weapons at all, uh, that Japan had uh, tried to surrender, and there was an argument over language, unconditional surrender. Uh, that, that was, yeah, that was the, the sticking that's the point. stumbling block, mm -hmm. and of course there would have been ways to allow the emperor to retain his status, which of course ended up happening anyway. That, I think, is the real crux of the debate because uh, the momentum of the the manhattan project mm -hmm. and the bombs themselves was such that they were going to be dropped they it, had to be dropped they it, weren't there's no way they weren't going to be dropped and that's a a terrible thing and gar, gar alperovitz's book atomic diplomacy um from hiroshima to or potsdam to hiroshima i think is a very useful uh sort of liberal left-wing perspective on the controversial aspects of the decision regarding the ambiguity of the um, issue of, quote, unconditional surrender, uh, something that emerged uh, in, in World War II as an allied policy many, many years before that. Uh, that, by the way, was also a... Um, a, word, a, a choice of words that was used with respect to Germany because I... It, it, it's interesting that the Russian, following the Russian Revolution, there was a separate peace signed in 1918 mm -hmm. between Germany and Russia. And they didn't want to repeat that sort of complex thing involving, you know, issues of borders, nationalities, and all sorts right. of other stuff. And there was another aspect to the unconditional surrender component that sort of was about the idea of thoroughly defeating the uh, the uh, Axis powers to make sure that they understood that they'd been defeated because Hitler had used the uh, stab in the back theory yep. to rise to power in part. Uh, they're all, all very important aspects of history to, uh, uh, to uh, examine. But what's interesting, I think, about the issue of the emperor, because that ended up being the sort of final sticking point, was that the American government had privately accepted right. this um component of the negotiations in private but with the japanese in other words internally america accepted that they would need the emperor uh in some sort of a position to um provide for quote stability in the post-war uh era and uh, the united states didn't actually withdraw from japan we still have troops there still there uh, the official end of the war, by the way, was sort of declared in 1952. That's when Truman issued a end of the occupation. It's also important to remember, as the Earl Morris documentary so poignantly illustrated, the conventional bombing of Japan that uh, <laughs> one of our favorite spoofed characters of all time, Jack D. Ripper, mm. uh, in the, the Dr. Strangelove movie, that was obviously a spoof of Curtis LeMay, he uh, was one of the major architects of the conventional bombing of Japan in which Ma Robert McNamara was an aide mm -hmm. selecting targets and giving empirical data for targets. 
Hiroshima and Nagasaki, by the way, were deliberately left as pristine cities not to be bombed. But when you realize that 60... Had to set a few aside. Yeah, had to spare a few people so we could vaporize them and to see how effective the weapon mm -hmm. really was. That's part of what happened. Yep. This is a very, very complex picture. Um, Truman, of course, always defended the decision with the argument that a conventional invasion of, F of Japan would in involve, quote, millions of casualties. That was sort of debatable. But um, certainly, Japan did, in factually did not surrender uh, on the 6th. Joseph Stalin, for the record, declared war on Japan That's, <laughs> on the 8th of August because he had agreed at Yalta to um, declare war on Japan three months after VE Day. And VE Day was officially May 8th. Right. So there was a component that Garl, Gar Alperwitz, uh, in his book, Atomic Diplomacy, goes into regarding the real reason for why the bomb was dropped, a message to the Soviet Union. But trust also me... also a chance to exclude them from any uh, post-war negotiations with Japan. Joseph Stalin did not, um, when, when told of uh, the fact that we had this new weapon, because the, the actual testing of the A-bomb occurred during the Potsdam uh, post-war conference. Uh, ironically, Winston Churchill who Mitt Romney says he's going to put a picture of Winston Churchill back in the White House. It's good to know. Uh, successful imperialist. Did some great things, but he's got a lot of black marks. Indeed, <laughs> a heavy skeleton action in that man's closet. Uh, you know, he, he's the one, by the way, that divided up Eastern Europe on a napkin with uh, Joseph Stalin on the, uh, I believe it was the 9th of October, 1944, when... Uh, Stalin had already liberated several Eastern European countries. And essentially, Churchill swapped uh, control of Greece uh, for uh, Soviet domination of Bulgaria, Romania, and Hungary and Yugoslavia were sort of split 50-50. Uh, the West got Greece and control of the Mediterranean. That was Churchill's objective in dividing Eastern Europe on a napkin uh, well before Yalta. So it's a very interesting story, and it's ironic that you br brought it up because uh, I hadn't thought of it, the anniversary, but I've been reading an amazing amounts of stuff this summer about the complexities of uh, World War II, uh, military and diplomatic, uh, and, and espionage, in fact. Oh, yeah. All these aspects of the, of the whole thing. Well, we're still dealing with the repercussions, and this is why it's so sad and shocking that uh, history is so poorly studied uh, in this country that uh, high school students never really get a chance to study much of the 20th century. And, of course, the world that we uh, live in, the world that we deal with, the world that we're trying to find a way through, uh, all falls right out of the 20th century. Yeah, and I think that in some ways one of the sad things about what's going on in America today is the misappropriation of history in the political campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a, quote, Tea Party that is uh, distorting uh, the events of the American Revolution. And, yes, there are too many uh, subjects to study and history, history teachers at all levels have to sort of cut the weed from the chaff and decide what's important and what isn't. 
but um, we certainly need to study World War One and World War Two in much greater detail than our public schools uh, give us information about, because one of the sad things, and I think Mitt Romney in his uh, foreign policy trip to burnish his credentials demonstrated so so vividly. He doesn't even understand what's going on with the, uh, with the 1967 war as it relates to the uh, Palestinian-Israeli conflict. He throws out this sort of vague, b- bizarre, pejorative word world called culture in which he makes a, a semi-racist argument that's ignorant of history and pretty offensive at the end of the day uh, because the Palestinians are a wronged people in many ways because of British imperialism, because of Winston Churchill, yep. who will be uh, looking over Mitt Romney's shoulders at all times, apparently, if he's elected. Um, but they work hard. And we've seen this ridiculous culture war going on even in Europe regarding the whole uh, uh, Euro crisis and how the Germans think that the Greeks are, are quote, lazy when the evidence shows that the Greeks work harder than the Germans. Not that the Germans are lazy. They're endowed with the fact that they have great technological and manufacturing prowess, more efficiency, more productive. That's what gives them those days off. Well, They're higher wages. And of course, they had a Marshall Plan, and the Greeks didn't really have quite the same thing. The Greeks have, um, have suffered... And it's interesting, by the way, on the issue of Greece, uh, the Allies did not... Uh, Truman eventually intervened with the so-called Truman Doctrine, but Churchill... Uh, Stalin did not intervene on behalf of the, of the Greek communists. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're uh, pretty much out of time, I think. We saw Jerry Mack. He's uh, up raring to go. Uh, Summertime blues coming your way shortly. Here, Yazoo City calling. We'll have to talk about Gore Vidal... Uh... Next week, I suppose. I'd like to thank Andrew uh, once again for engineering here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. He's back from vacation. He's tanned, rested, and raring to go, just like Tricky Dick. So we'll talk more about Nixon uh, next week. Gore Vidal passed away last week, and we have a relevant uh, reading from the archives of Gore Vidal as it relates to Watergate, one of the greatest essays in American history. Bremer, Wallace, and Hunt by Gore Vidal that appeared in the New York Review of Books on the 13th of December, 1973. Well, Jerry Mack's going to have blues that precede 1973. Good night. That's Alfred Lewis in the background doing the Mississippi Swamp Moan, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name's Jerry Mack, your host this evening for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta Blues 
and early urban blues performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. This uh, selection found on a Yazoo Records release called Harmonica Masters 